Welcome to another episode of The Art of Living Proactively, episode 237 with Heather Clegg, psychiatrist and Team CBT practitioner. She explains how Team CBT enhances traditional cognitive behavioral therapy methods, and she outlines how it incorporates structured empathy, analyzes resistance to understand the positives of symptoms, and uses a wider variety of techniques. Heather describes how Team CBT helps people reframe thoughts to see possibilities, become more proactive agents in their lives and make positive changes by first understanding the value of current behaviours that they have. And she talks about doing homework to catalyse real transformation. And she explains about techniques like something called the triple paradox for habits, reframing relapse as a practice. So we're going to get into a lot of things around Team CBT, how it differs to conventional CBT, and a lot more. So it's all coming up in this episode with Heather Clegg. Hope you enjoy this week's show. Remember, if you want to watch the video of the show, you can see that on YouTube. The, the link will be in the show notes. Please do subscribe. If you're watching on YouTube, please subscribe on YouTube. If you're on a podcast player, subscribe there. Leave us a review. That would be really helpful. If you have any questions about the show, please do. If you're on YouTube, just leave some uh, questions in the comment section. And hope you enjoy this week's episode. Welcome to another episode of The Art of Living Proactively. And my guest today, Heather Clegg, MD. How are you, Heather? I'm good, thank you. And we're in Cali- Northern California today. <laughs> but not a, Norv- not a native Northern California. Well, I've been here longer than anywhere else, so I'm like a so you feel honorary native. <laughs> so today we're gonna we're gonna dive into something that we 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 touched upon CBT once before. I'm trying to remember the name of the guest that was talking about CBT, but we so Heather is uh, we're going to talk about something called Team CBT. So before some people probably aren't even familiar what CBT is, no mind about Team CBT. So do you want to tell us a bit more about CBT maybe first? Yeah. Yeah. And Tony, I should, I guess we should say that we met at this recent team CBT intensive mm-hmm. in Bristol, UK. And so I can't wait to hear some of your thoughts about, uh, about the, the workshop, but T- CBT is short for cognitive behavioral therapy. Um, so it's the idea that, um, our feelings are profoundly affected by the things we tell ourselves, our thoughts, and then the way, the things that we do, our behaviors. You can think of them all influencing each other. Um, but we don't really have direct access into feelings. So if we want to feel better, we can put our energy into shifting the way that we talk to ourselves and shifting the behaviors that we have. Like an example would be, you know, if I'm afraid of public speaking, for example, I might tell myself, oh, I can't do this. I'm a loser. Everyone's going to think I sound ridiculous. And then I might avoid opportunities to actually speak in public. And so, for example, Tony, you came up to me after the intensive and said, would you like to be on the podcast? And of course, part of my brain was like, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, a little anxious about that, right? I could have said no, but instead I decided to say yes, in which case I get to have a new experience and find out that maybe it's not so scary after all. So when we're in cognitive behavioral therapy, we're retraining ourselves kind of the, to shape the thoughts that we have and the behaviors that we have, and it can really powerfully transform how we feel. And so how does team CBT differ to just regular CBT? Yeah, so Team CBT is really an evolution in the world of CBT. David Burns, um, uh, I would say, 
scanned the whole landscape of therapies and pulled in so many elements that constitute really good therapy. So TEAM is an acronym. Uh, the T stands for testing. So there's a lot of measurement involved. Um, I have to say I'm a refugee from a long-term psychotherapy that really wasn't very effective. Um, and then when I found Team CBT, the idea that, you know, we're going to measure our progress. We're going to make sure that we're helping you get in the direction you want to go right. has been super important. So that's T for testing. E stands for empathy. And so there's a really structured way in which um, team therapists and really any of us can learn to be much more effective in how we empathize with someone. Mm. And again, David Burns has sort of a put together what he calls the five secrets of effective communication. They're this really powerful way to be present and connect with someone and help them feel warmly understood. The A stands for analysis of resistance. And I think this is just in the incredible genius of David Burns is to really understand, honor, and respect our reasons for thinking and behaving the way we do. Mm. So before we try to change anything, we want to understand what's actually positive and good about our symptoms. It's very paradoxical. Mm. But when you have this mindset shift, suddenly it's much easier to free yourself of unwanted patterns because you understand what those patterns are trying to do. And then that gives you much more flexibility to accomplish those goals in other ways. Mm. I'm sure we'll get into some specifics. Mm. And then the M stands for methods, which are really kind of all the traditional cognitive behavioral methods plus many more, there's you know, 50, 100 methods. We can always find methods that will work to shift our thoughts and feelings. Right. But when we, we go through the steps, we encounter much less resistance, and so it becomes much easier to change, and therapy can move much faster. And so you mentioned just now about that your previous experience with therapy wasn't anywhere near as good. So what were you a therapist for a while before discovering this? I was, yeah. I mean, I've always had an interest in therapy, and... I was doing kind of eclectic, more psychoanalytically informed therapy, which to be fair, I think can be very powerful. Mm -hmm. But one of the downsides of long-term therapy is if you, you and the patient stop holding each other accountable mm -hmm. towards really deeply understanding what the patient's goals are and actively working towards them. Um, and so adding that in, I think has, for me has been really transformational. And I've seen people make changes in months that in the past or even weeks in the past might have taken years. Well, and one of the things that I picked up, I mean, I, I don't know much anything about therapy, really. I've never, I've never been in therapy, and I've certainly never trained to be a therapist. But one of the things that I picked up during the, the weekend you know, course that we did, it seems that the same CBT emphasizes that the, the client, the patient, or whatever they're called, has to do homework, which doesn't seem to be something that's so gets done in, in other forms of therapy, from what I understood. Is, is that one of the big differences? Absolutely. So um, the idea is that therapy is this active process, right? Like it's more like learning to play tennis or learning an instrument, mm. right? You're going to go to the therapist who's going to, I mean, they need to hear your story. They need to understand you. I mean, there needs to be a positive connection there. But that doesn't have to take years and years, right? You can, with a skilled therapist, you know, even within 15 minutes, often people can feel deeply understood. Mm. But then what the therapist is going to do is help you catalyze your own changes. Mm. And then you have to practice, right? Absolutely. Because we're not, you know, you're only with a therapist one hour a week, mm. maybe only for a handful of hours. Right. But those handful of hours can train you to do something very powerful that can really shift your life. 
what I found really interesting about that, because I know that CBT has its origins in the ancient Greek philosophy of Stoicism. Mm-hmm. And I've read a lot about Stoicism. It's been something that's fascinated me for many years. And one of the main tenets of Stoicism is not you don't just read about Stoicism, you act it. You actually have to, the, the, yeah, the famous Stoics like Epictetus and Seneca and so on are always talking about this isn't something you just read. This is something you actively do. On, and so that element of Team CBT is so much more aligned with Stoicism. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Exactly. It's something you live and breathe. Yeah. I mean, um, yeah, I mean, I think that it's, in, you know, I'm a psychiatrist as well, and I, I do prescribe medications, but um, I think both in some forms of psychotherapy and, and some forms of psychiatry, you know, there's kind of a passivity that's encouraged. Mm. And in a way you think, what's a, a life well lived, right? It's a life where you're the agent, you're the protagonist, you're doing things, right? You're being, you're manifesting. That's what we want to help people do. Mm. And the problem is that we can fall into thought patterns and behavior patterns that beat ourselves down and keep us from engaging in that vital way. Mm. So you mentioned about, yeah, there's many different methods, and I think you said there was over 100 or so. So are many of those methods used in all forms of CBT? I mean, how many of those have been created by David which aren't in other forms of CBT? You know, I'm not sure I can answer that because I never did – sort of standard CBT. I came to CBT through David, but I, my impression is that he's invented a tremendous number of methods. Okay. He's an incredibly creative guy yeah. and he uses a lot of role-playing methods, which you can think of as kind of a behavior. Like you can do cognitive methods where you start to look at your thoughts and shift your mindset. And then you can do a role-play method where you actually speak from the perspective of this new mindset. Mm. It's very powerful. And I guess we should, we, we haven't, we keep, we've referred to David a few times, but there's probably people thinking, who is this David guy I keep talking about? <laughs> <laughs> right. So David Burns is himself a psychiatrist um, who practiced like biomedical psychiatry and actually did research on antidepressants. And he was so underwhelmed by the impact of antidepressants that um, he got very excited about uh, cognitive therapy. Um, and he both worked with um, Albert Ellis and Aaron Beck and then sort of branched out on his own and has created his own um, take on cognitive behavioral therapy. And, and that um, Ellis and Beck were the actual originators of CBT, weren't they? I believe so, yeah. So when did you first come into Team CBT? I, I think it was 2014. It was a hard time of my life. I had a sort of traumatic divorce, um, and I felt a little frustrated by the therapy I was doing. It hadn't really helped change things for me. And I went to one of David Burns' four-day intensives, and I was blown away because he does, as you saw in our intensive, he'll do live work with someone. So he has someone come up in front of the group and he goes through a whole therapy session in about two hours. And you can see that someone's mind state can completely shift in that time. Yeah. Um, and again, he has this very skillful way of, of empathizing so that people feel really heard and understood. And then he goes through what's the positive reframe. So he asks a question and he has you write out your thoughts and feelings at a specific moment in time when you were feeling upset. Um, And then he asks this magic button question and he says, now, if you could press a magic button and it would take away all these negative thoughts and feelings, would you press it? Right. And most people are thinking like, for example, let's say an example of someone who at the conference had gotten up to do an example, a demonstration of something and hadn't done it very well. It's a sort of made a goof in front of 50 people. Mm. 
and they're telling themselves like, oh, I shouldn't have done that. I'm everyone's going to think I'm such a loser. You know, I'm, I'm a terrible therapist. So, you know, we'd write that down on the daily mood log, which is a, a thought journal. Mm. And so then he asked this question. So you could, and this person is feeling embarrassed and humiliated and insecure and inadequate and anxious, right. maybe depressed. And they say, well, of course, they don't want to feel all those terrible feelings. So of course, they'd press that magic button. Right. But then we say, well, let's slow down a second, because I'd be hesitant to just wipe them away, because I'm imagining there's some positive things associated with these thoughts and feelings. Right. And can we take a look at that? Mm. And usually people are pretty like confused, like, well, why? Why just feeling like a loser? How could that possibly be positive? Right. Then you think, like, what if you could never feel insecure? You could never feel the slightest bit inadequate. Mm. What would that be like? Mm people start to think, oh, right. What is what is the fact that you feel insecure after having failed at something show about you, show about what you care about? Mm. Usually people start to say, oh, right. It, it shows that I actually care about my reputation. Right. I care about doing well in front of others. And I want to impress people. I want to be able to effectively teach people things. Um, I have high standards, right? These are these are really important and positive aspects. Mm. In fact, it shows a certain kind of self-love. It often shows a love and respect for other people, right? If you think about the emotion of, of being embarrassed, it shows you care about what other people think, right? That's actually deeply respectful of other people. And so rather than seeing our emotions as the enemy, <laughs> we can see that our emotions are there trying to send us a message. They're trying to show us what we care about. They're trying to guide our behavior, right? That anxiety, that performance anxiety, it might make you prepare more, right? So you'd have a better chance of, of doing being more effective next time, mm. right? You might prepare whatever skill you wanted to demonstrate. So the next time you demonstrate it, you'll, you'll be more effective. And so this shift happens where it's like, oh, right? I can actually don't, I can befriend my emotions. And so then, then we'll ask sort of the pivot question, like if, well, since these thoughts and feelings are so powerful, why would you want to get rid of them? And is there an alternative, which instead of trying to just get rid of our negative feelings, maybe we could just dial them down to a manageable amount so that we're not so flooded and overwhelmed by them, but we can still hear their message. We can still be guided by what they have to tell us. And once someone's gone through that, then it becomes much easier to use methods to change our thoughts because it's our thoughts there that are driving our feelings, right? If you tell yourself, well, I'm a loser because I made a mistake in front of a crowd, well, that kind of thought is going to create quite a bit of negative emotion. And we can start to look and say, well, is that thought distorted at all? And David Burns has mapped out 10 common cognitive distortions, starting with all or nothing thinking, right? So maybe Tony, I can quiz you. If you had the thought, I'm a loser because I you know, made a mistake in front of a crowd, why, would that be an example of all or nothing thinking? Yeah, because clearly I wouldn't be I may have made a mistake once, but there could have been other times where I didn't make any mistakes. Right, exactly. Right. It's like suddenly the world is either losers or non-losers, as though there's no yeah. shades of gray in between. Exactly. And we might be overgeneralizing. Mm. As just as you said, maybe I made this mistake once, but it doesn't, you know, I always make mistakes. Right? Or we might be magnified. We might hone in on that one tiny mistake I made. Whereas actually maybe there was other content in my presentation that was actually useful. Mm. And so once you start to look at the distortions, you can the, th the thought starts to kind of pull apart a little bit. And you start to realize maybe there's a more helpful version of this thought that's more accurate and actually helpful, yeah. right? Maybe it's like, you know what? I made a mistake in that talk. I'm not perfect, and sometimes I make mistakes. 
And I bet some people even noticed it. And maybe some people even judged me. But, you know, there were some things I did in that talk that were actually good. And there was a lot I could build on. And so I can practice more. So the next time I do this, I'll learn from those mistakes. And I'm grateful for my embarrassment because it motivates me to work hard and try to do better next time. I've, I've been reading the, the book. Well, I say the book because he's written a few books. But at a moment, I've been, over the last few days, I've been reading the Feeling Great book by, by mm -hmm. David Byrne. Yes, here it and, is, Feeling Great. And, and one of the things that we're that I wanted to talk to you about because I know I believe it started in a couple of weeks time you've got a feeling great book club that's right that's right so um, these techniques lend themselves really well to self-help right. some people don't even need a therapist to kind of learn these techniques and transform their lives and so in order to facilitate that and help that my colleague Brandon Mance and I are leading the feeling great book club. so over 12 weeks we'll go through the book reading a few chapters per week and then we will give folks a chance to ask questions We'll do some demonstrations of some of the methods. And then in breakout rooms, people will get a chance to discuss it and practice the exercises. Because one of the things that I thought was quite interesting about the book was, I mean, I'm, I'm listening to the audio book version at the moment, but I'm, I think I'm going to buy the, uh, the physical book as well. But as I've been going through it so far, and in regularly, he'll present um, a situation and then ask you to think about what, how would you react to, you know, he'll throw out something. And he said, right, so write it down before you go on. And he's doing that constantly throughout the book. And it's very different to, to many books. It's really getting you to think and participate as well. In, in it. Exactly. He, he's, I mean, he's, David Burns has a wonderful sense of humor. And so he'll tell you how important it is to do the exercises in the book. Mm -hmm. Again, it's not a passive thing. You can't just read it or listen yeah. and have the transformation. You have to actually do the exercises. Yeah. And so he says, okay, now before you keep reading, I want you to go back and do the exercise. And then the next paragraph, he says, now, did you do that exercise? <laughs> I bet you didn't. Now go back and do that exercise. So exactly. Doing the, doing the exercises in the book are really what make it so incredibly yeah. powerful. And so in that, in that book club, so you mentioned it's 12 weeks and I, mm -hmm. are there 12 chapters? I, can't, I don't know how many chapters there are. Oh, uh, there's more than 12 chapters. We, uh, you read like two or three chapters a week. Right. Okay. Yeah. And so it's like a thorough examination of the book and how it works and, and, and so mm -hmm. on. Mm -hmm. Exactly. It's funnily enough, for in weeks of, just before we started recording, we were talking about um, motivational interviewing, and we'll come on to that in a minute. But And there's um, connections between motivational interviewing and Team CBT. But I've only done a book club once before, and funnily enough, it was on a book called Motivational Interviewing in Nutrition and Fitness. Mm -hmm. And it was about three years ago or something. I was doing a nutrition coach course. And one of the recommended books on this course was, was that book. And it was so, it had such an effect on me in that book. I thought, wow, this is, I really, really like and find powerful many of the sort of techniques in that book. So I got together with a few girls who were on the same course as me. And we went through that book page by page over the course mm -hmm. of a few months to really understand it and, so we could, you know, use it more in, in our coaching. And so it's quite funny that how Team CBT or motivational interview, and I suppose in some ways you could say it comes from Team CBT. And we, I mean, what, well, do you want to tell us more about that? Well, that's, so I don't know a lot about motivational interviewing. Um, I know that David Burns will say that. He thinks that he influenced the, the person who developed Team CBT. Um, I think what they share in common is this, again, deep respect for what you're doing now. <laughs> Before we try to change something, we want to understand the function, the purpose, you know, of what you're doing now. It, it honors some value that you have. Mm. And if we don't, if we don't do that, it's, you're going to resist, right? So we bring that 
that resistance to conscious awareness. And once it's in conscious awareness, it's interesting. It often melts away. Mm. It's like a, it's like a deep empathy exercise really to kind of think about um, how our symptoms are connected to our values. Well, I noticed a few health coaches listen to this podcast and many people, many health coaches have read the book motivational and interviewing in nutrition and fitness. And I, I would, yeah, I would urge or would certainly suggest that you check out this book. Either, well, it, there's two main books from, from David Burns, The Feeling Good and Feeling Great. So what is the, the difference between them? Yeah, Feeling Good, he was his first book and, you know, a huge bestseller. And, you know, it's been shown that just having the book delivered on your doorstep is an effective treatment for depression. <laughs> they did a randomized trial where they mailed the book to some people. And it was so powerful right, that they were able to see a, a difference even without actually measuring which fraction of people used it. Um, I don't believe actually having it on your doorstep is what made the difference. I think some people use the book. Um, and then Feeling Great incorporates all the more recent developments, right, where he's got this analysis of resistance and, and more thoughtful ways of using empathy. Um, so, yeah, so, it's, so if, if you had to start somewhere, I would, I would recommend folks start with Feeling Great because it is his more modern synthesis um, of his approach. Um, and the, um, you know, he has different, he, you know, he has tools that work on like depression and anxiety, um, tools for relationship skills, and then tools for habits or addictions, which would probably fall in the realm of, of what health coaches are working on. And there are two supplementary chapters that aren't in the hard copy of the book, but you can get on his website, um, uh, that are specifically for habits and addictions. And I think we, we learned about this in the last day of the intensive um, there's a method in there that I really love. It's called the, the triple paradox, mm -hmm. right? So we have someone come up with three columns. Say, say you have a habit you want to change. Like, Tony, is there any habit that you might want to change, health habit or get to bed on time? Or When it comes to health, I have amazing discipline. When it comes to business, I'm the opposite. So, <laughs> so if we started talking about business habits, I could give you lows, but... With health, I'm remarkably disciplined. Well, good on you. All right. Well, then, uh, is there a business habit you'd like us to to chat about? Yeah, I procrastinate too much. When it, there's so many things I could be doing to move my business forward, and I just don't do them. Oh, fantastic! Great. And was there a moment in time when you were procrastinating recently? Um. Yeah. Yesterday. Yesterday. All right. Cool. So, um, so in the first column, do you want to write this down? Because I we actually works much better if we do okay. this in writing. Yeah. We would say, um, all right, so um, what are all the good reasons to procrastinate? Um, it can be fun just sort of doing other stuff. and yeah. Oh, yeah. What did you get to do when you were procrastinating? Uh, mostly catching up with some friends on social, because I had a busy weekend, so I was catching up with friends on Facebook. Um, but, but half the time I was just sort of like, Doom scrolling. Yeah. Uh-huh. 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 Is that fun? It can be. Yeah. You get to oh, you get to see what that next thing is gonna be. Yeah. It's very enticing, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Excellent. So you get to do and and do you get to just do whatever you feel like doing? Yeah. No, you don't there's like the part of your mind that's telling you you should, you get to just wave it away and just do what you feel like doing. It was a Sunday, so oh, I don't need to work today. I can just you know. Yeah, I can just relax. Yeah. Yeah, excellent. So we'll do a quick version of this. If we were doing this for real, I'd probably go into some more depth because mm. there's, you know, 
Procrastinating can be delicious. <laughs> Sometimes I get actually some of my best stuff done when I'm procrastinating. Um, so that would be the first column. And then the second would be reasons why... So you were procrastinating doing some business stuff, is that right? Well, there was some business stuff that I it would have been a good idea to do yesterday, really, yeah. Yeah. And what kind of business stuff would it... It was more... Um, so I have a weekly session with my coach on Tuesdays, and she... There was all sorts of things we agreed last Tuesday I was going to do before our next session tomorrow, and I uh -huh. haven't done any of them. So there was a few awesome. of those things I really should have been doing yesterday. Yeah. Okay, great, great. So, what are all the reasons why it would be terrible to do those those things for your business coach? Like, why, why would it be, be really terrible? unpleasant? Why would it be unpleasant? Yeah. I'm I'm not good with admin stuff. It's I just find it sort of tedious. Uh huh. Um, it's, uh, yeah, it's just, just something I don't find enjoyable. Yeah. Okay. So it's boring. It's tedious. You don't feel good at it. Mm. Absolutely. So we've got, so I'm, you're starting to make me understand your procrastination a lot better here, right? You get to do what you want. You get to chill out, relax with friends. That sounds lovely. Versus have to do this thing that's so boring and tedious and you're not good at anyway. Mm -hmm. So these are the first two columns. Now, the last column, will be, what does it show about you that's really cool and awesome that you have these reasons for procrastinating and for not doing your SOP? Well, I guess I enjoy life more. I don't let business yeah. be my, control my life. Yeah. Wonderful. Yeah. Sounds like you really value having some downtime. Mm -hmm. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You're not always like a workaholic, always working. No, not at all. And and I heard you talk about catching up with friends. Is our friendships important to you? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Okay, so well, I guess I'm wondering with all these good reasons to procrastinate, why would you want help in procrastinating less? Well, I'm I'm a professional procrastinator, <laughs> so I, I think I do it pretty well. But it doesn't bring me much money in, so I um, I need to procrastinate less and bring some money in. I see, I see. But but it's boring to have to do this homework. Yeah, it may well be, but you, life is not all fun and games. Oh, but you're not really good at that administrative stuff anyway. No, I'm not, but you sometimes have to do things you're not good at. Oh, Tony, who's winning right now? Oh, I am. <laughs> big or small? I'm probably big. Yeah, big or huge? I wouldn't say it's huge, but yeah, it's big. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I, it sounds like, well, you might have some good reasons to not procrastinate, but still there's, you know, this lovely Sunday where you can take a break and relax. Why would you want to give that up? And in some ways, I don't want to give it up, but I've, I've done, it wasn't, if it was just Sunday, then yeah, why would I want to give that up? But the problem was it wasn't just Sunday. It was other days as well. Uh-huh. <laughs> so let's, we'll, we'll take a pause here. Yeah. What was that like for you, Tony? Yeah, well, I mean, and obviously I went through some of this a couple of weeks ago in the course. Yeah, but it gets me to, to really think, and it gets me to fight, you know, for why I should be doing these things and and so on. Right, exactly. Right. So what I do as, as your coach or your therapist is I step out of the role of telling you what you should do, right? And it's really up to you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to side with your resistance. Mm. I'm going to take, I'm going to side with 
the part of you that doesn't want to do this and make sure it feels fully heard. Because mm. once once I can hold that for you, well, then then you had more space to come forward and say, actually, this isn't serving me very well, right? This isn't how I want to do it. But that was, you'd leave our, our conversation with your own voice in your head telling you why you wanted to do this. Yeah, absolutely. It also, what struck me, and again, we're doing a really quick version of this, but, you know, there was a little more flexibility kind of creeping in, right? Like, actually, the moment in time for procrastination might not be Sunday, mm. right? It might have been sometime in the week. Mm. <laughs> and what you might realize is one good reason not to procrastinate is you want to be able to preserve Sunday and have a day off. Yeah. But, again, if we were doing this together, I'd let you, you'd be the one who would come up with that so yeah. that it's, you're, you're really kind of deeply honoring your own wishes. No one is coercing you or forcing you. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, there's, there's so many things about the course that I really enjoyed because it made me think about things very differently. What, one of the things, I mean, and we haven't touched upon it yet, mm. is um, I think it was on the last day and it, it was getting me to reframe or getting everyone to reframe what a relapse means. Mm. And I thought that was just so... Never heard anything like that before, but it made so much sense. And people are wondering, listening, wondering what we're talking about. So I forget the exact how it was termed. It was um, there was something before the word relapse, wasn't it? Or is it reframing relapse? I forget what it was. Well, it was it was sort of relapse anticipation. Oh right, okay, right, anticipating that we're going to relapse. So could you explain that? Yeah, yeah. So these techniques are super powerful, right? Within a couple of hours, often, you know, someone can have a transformative experience where they're no longer believing that they're a loser or, that, you know, things are hopeless. Um, but we know that old thought patterns are going to come back, right? So we, we expect that. We anticipate that. And we help someone prepare for that so that we, we they, and uh, again, we want to record them in a sense, talking back to their negative thoughts, right? Um, be able to convincingly defeat the idea that they're, you know, things are hopeless or they're a loser. And then we have them imagine a moment in time when they believe that thought again, right? They might be telling themselves this didn't work or this wasn't real, right? And so then we have them anticipate that too by talking talking to that thought, right? And say, no, this is real. Like, I, I really feel differently. Like, I'm, I am not believing that I'm a loser right now and I can see possibilities. And so they can, in a very kind and encouraging way, talk to their future self, right? When, when you fall back into the hole. So we just acknowledge that, you know, negative thoughts come and go. It's not that that's a problem. We don't have to get stuck there. We don't have to get hooked on them and caught on them. We can learn to recognize them. Mm. And so, you know, one of the distortions is the should statement, right? You should be better than you are. You know, you, sh you, you, know, you, sh you should never make mistakes. You should always be happy. And I'm trained enough now. I can hear that sh of the should statement as it comes, right? And I'm, 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 I'm ready for it. I know it's the, oh, yeah, right? That's just my mind trying to encourage me in its own way. There's something I care about here. There's something important. And I can take a look at that content and not get caught up in, in punishing myself or beating myself up, but instead listen to what I deeply care about and then take wise action in that direction. What I thought was so powerful about it, because relapse to me and I guess to many people is such a negative concept. That's a negative word. And it completely turned it on its head and it doesn't necessarily need to be so negative. And I'd never thought about it in that way before. Yeah, I right, exactly. If you think about it, relapse is just a chance to practice, yeah. right? We're building skills here. We're building mental and emotional and heart muscles, right? So yeah, we almost want to relapse as often as you can, right? Because each time you do that, then you're retraining yourself. 
And and the thing that immediate, well, almost immediately came to my mind when when they started explaining more about what it was and how it can work, and it, yes, exactly some of the things you just said. And one of the first things that came to my head was meditation, and mm. because I talk with so many people who tell me, "Oh, I can't meditate. I just doesn't work for me. My mind keeps wandering," and I don't realize, well, that is what meditation is all about. The more you realize your mind is wandering. That means it's working because, you know, and it just, yeah, so it just it really synced up with, with meditation for me, that, that whole concept. Absolutely. I mean, I think it's that idea exactly that, that we expect our minds to do this. And it's, that's the transformation is expecting your mind to do that. Understanding compassionately why our minds do that is the mindset shift hundred mm. percent. And then these are some te- techniques that I, th- I mean, I, I think meditation is fabulous. I, highly recommend meditating. I think sometimes if folks are struggling with depression or anxiety, they might need something more than meditation and it's possible to get kind of stuck in some hard places. Mm. And this can give some support um, that I think is, you know, just a little different than meditating. And the actual act of writing down your thoughts is already a very powerful way of, of getting less fused or kind of, you know, stuck on them, right? Suddenly your thought is, you realize that you actually have agency around the thoughts that you endorse, right? Thoughts will just fly through your mind, but without training, we tend to just believe them and live in them as if they're real. Mm-hmm. But when you write them down and you can notice, Hey, this thought is distorted, right? I, I actually can choose which kind of thoughts I want to build up in my mind. Mm-hmm. Um, that can be very powerful, especially if we're feeling depressed or anxious or stuck. One of the things that we went over in a course, and I, I think it will come if it was day one or day two, um, it was the the five secrets. Can, can you remind me what what is up? Because I, I remember <laughs> it was powerful at the time, but now I can't remember much about it. Yeah. So this is this is David Burns's um, approach to empathy, and um, you know I love David Burns dearly, and uh, I think he has such a special and unique mind. And I think he's so much brilliant than most of us. He can be a little impatient, so I don't think he's naturally empathic. Um, and so then, but he realized the value of empathy. And so he put his just incredible mind to realize what's happening when someone's being empathic. He had a student, uh, Sterling Morey, who's a now very, very well-known CBT therapist in England, who was working with him as a student. And he saw Sterling Morey making these incredible connections with students. So he had an example. And so he analyzed it and realized what are the specific things that Sterling is doing to form this connection? And he distilled it into the five secrets. So should I go through those in detail? Would that be helpful? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So the first, and this is the one that really requires what David says is sort of the death of the ego, is that we have to find truth in what the other person is saying. So, so many times if someone comes at us and they're angry or upset, they criticize us, what do we want to do? We want to defend ourselves. But in a way, that just proves that whatever they're saying is true. Right? Someone says, you're not listening to me. And you say, no, 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 I am listening to you. It's like, well, you're demonstrating that you're not listening, hmm. right? Whereas if you might think, I'm, I really think I've been listening, but if you slow down, think, you know, there's something you're saying that I haven't been hearing, right? Then you're demonstrating, I am really working to, to listen more deeply into what you're saying. Hmm. So that first secret is in some ways probably the most important one is that we, we, we lower our defenses and we really try to see the world from the other person's point of view and understand what they deeply try to communicate to us. Hmm. Then there's four more secrets. One is empathy, which can be divided into thought empathy, where we just use their words and say their words back to them just to show that we're listening and then we get what they're saying. Mm. It differs from disarming because we don't have to agree with everything they've said, but you can say, you know, what you're telling me is, 
you know, that, you know, you've been calling me <laughs> several times and I haven't returned your call. And, and then I can imagine you're feeling, and feeling empathy would be the next part of that. I can imagine you feeling frustrated and probably pretty angry at me. So when we respectfully try to take a guess at what they're feeling, I think people often feel very humanized. And if you think what goes wrong in most conversations is there's no acknowledgement of each other's humanity and each other's feelings. So adding in respectfully naming feeling words can really do a lot to, to, to soothe the conversation. Then the next secret would be inquiry because we don't actually know what someone is thinking and feeling. We can just take our best guess. So then we'd want to check it out. Say, am I reading you right? Can you tell me more about how you're thinking and how you're feeling? I really want to understand. So we use inquiry to draw them out. And then there's two more secrets that really can add human warmth. One is an I feel statement where we share our feelings in a kind and respectful way, right? Like, you know, I, I feel sad that I feel terrible that I haven't called you back in a timely way. Right. And you're really, and then the last would be stroking or validation. You're really important to me. Um, you know, our relationship matters to me. And I, I really respect that you've been so persistent in trying to reach me, even when I haven't called you back. So these are sort of like notes on a scale. Um, it's not like there's some formula, but when we use these different techniques, it can just do so much towards bringing a conversation out of this conflict of, you know, people arguing over the content and into we're two human beings trying to understand each other. Um, what's, what's tricky is that this is very hard to do if you're criticizing yourself or you're feeling defensive. <laughs> so often when we most need these skills, they're, they're not available to us because we get triggered or reactive. Mm -hmm. So um, before teaching the five secrets, David Burns will do a lot to notice our tendency to blame the other person and our tendency to want the other person to change, want them to be the ones to understand. When we can let that go, we can realize, actually, I'm the one who needs to understand me. <laughs> if I can have, have my own back, if I understand why I didn't call this person back, right? I'm not feeling guilty about that because I had a good reason. Then that's what lets me be really much more open and present to the other person's experience. Mm. What advice would you give to someone who they may be stuck in reactive patterns and, you know, they want to turn their life around? Yeah. Well, I'd probably start with the book Feeling Great because that book is, is really centered around looking at depression and anxiety. And what are these stories that we tell ourselves, these thoughts we tell ourselves that kind of keep us in ruts, right? They tend to be kind of grim and limiting. And again, by going through the, the, the exercise of measuring our feelings, giving ourselves empathy, by really writing down in detail what we're thinking and feeling, and then using this magic button and the positive reframe to honor what's important and valuable about our feelings. Mm then that could open up and let us shift so that we can talk to ourselves in different ways. We can engage in new behaviors. And so that we have our own back, right? We're, we really feel like we're on our own, our own side and our own team. Mm -hmm. And then from there, that's usually the place that I would start. And then from there, we can look at habits, right? If we wanted to change habits. Again, it's much easier if you're coming to yourself in a kind and encouraging way than if you're resorting to sort of punishing to self-talk. And then especially in, the, in terms of relationships, right? If we're, if again, if we have our own back, if we're treating ourselves with kindness, it's much easier to interact with others with kindness mm -hmm. and to perceive them non-defensively and help diffuse other people. Yeah. So, I mean, this, obviously the title of the show is about the art of living practically. So, so how, thinking about proactivity and sort of conscious choice making, how can that improve someone's life and, and relationships like you just touched upon? I think 
you know, another big piece of this is that we never try to force anything on anyone, right? We offer an invitation, right? It's like, we don't, we don't give people advice just willy nilly. It's like, is there something here you'd like help with? So the first thing is I'd like to find out what someone specifically would want help with, right? And then that would guide me from there. If someone's coming at this from a perspective of self-help and they want to help themselves, then again, I think unless you don't have any depression or anxiety, I'd probably recommend starting with feeling great and working through those exercises. Right. And again, we have the book club that starts on September 13th. So anyone who'd like to join us is very welcome. We have a very generous sliding scale. And um, I think that would be a really great way to do a deep dive. Because um, there's, there's one early in the morning US time and there's one sort of later in the day as well, isn't there? That's right. There's one at 8.30 a.m. Pacific time, which would be, I think, 4.30 p.m. Yeah, 4:30 UK time. UK, yeah. 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 And we've got folks coming from all over the world uh, joining us. And that's, what, 90 minutes? Yeah, it's uh, 80 minutes. 80 minutes. And that's for 12 weeks? 12 weeks, exactly. And then what time is the later one? The later one is at 5 p.m. U.S. time, so that would be... Oh, that'd be Probably, too late you know, for people in the UK. But yeah, I don't think that have, would work for. We have listeners all over the world, so there'd be yeah, other people yeah. who that would be more appropriate for. So. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we we aimed it so that we could reach folks from all over the world. Exactly. At that specific time, it's five p.m. Yeah, right. Pacific. Yeah. Okay. And so, if people want to find out more about the book club, where would they go? Well, you could just Google "feeling great book club," and I think we'll be one of the top hits. Um, otherwise, we're Brandon and I are both part of the Feeling Great Therapy Center. Okay. So if you go to feelinggreattherapycenter.com slash book hyphen club, that will take you to the book club page. And anyone who does want to join in on that, would they? Would you recommend they have a copy of the book? Yeah, you'll need a copy of the book, either a, a Kindle version or a, a paper version. Yeah. Right. Yeah, because you'll have to, you know, we will want folks to read the chapters so that they can be active and participating and doing the exercises. And so I guess anyone who's listening and thinking, wow, this Team CBT sounds pretty good and they want to know more, I guess, again, the book is, is the best step or, or was there be other steps as well? Well, there, there's a, David Burns has a wonderful podcast called The Feeling Good Podcast, mm-hmm. um, which is just a wealth of resources. He's got over 300 um, episodes now. And he does a lot of live personal work on the podcast. So if you want to tune into the podcast and search for one of the live work episodes, you can see an example of David Burns going through this method with someone. They're quite powerful. And, and sort of staying with books, is there, can you think of a book that's really moved you for any reason? Yeah. Um, well, this would be outside of the CBT world, I guess, but I'm recently reading the Gilead series by Marilyn Robinson. Okay. Um, it takes place in a small town in Iowa. And the, the first one just called Gilead is the main character is, a, um, he's a reverend and he's at the end of his life. And you know what I love about this book is it's very, it's spiritual in a way that very much aligns, I think, with with Team CBT, which is this kind of valuing of our humanity apart from our achievements. I mean, we like it's fun to achieve. We love achieving. But there's something about each unique person that is so precious. And so this, you see this pastor struggling, kind of just being a human being and seeing how he has this gaze towards all the people in his life that is very tender and compassionate. And you, you get a sense of people's flaws and struggles. And at the same time, the beauty of what it is to be human and what it is to have a, a very short, precious human life. Um, so uh, what's cool about the series is she's written one novel from a different perspective, uh, different characters in the story. So it's like 
each novel tells the story from the perspective of someone else. So you get a window into all these different worlds. Very poignant. Okay. That sounds, well, it's probably not the same, but you just reminded me when you described that of, it was a Japanese film in the 50s called Rush, Rushahan. Rush, Rushaman, yeah. Rushaman, yeah, that was it, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that, that is, that's a wonderful, right? Because everyone, it's about a murder and everyone who tells the story ends up describing how they committed the murder. <laughs> Yeah. So yeah, I love I love this idea. I mean, again, I think it so fits with CBT that you know we collapse down. We think there's only one perspective, but actually realize the world is so rich, right? There's so many ways of viewing something, right? We can pick the way of looking at things that serves us, hmm. that empowers us, that allows us to experience the world and all its beauty. Yeah. Well, for anyone who didn't pick uh, catch the title of that book, just look in the show notes there, and there'll be links to to that book and the series, and and I'll put a link to to Rashomon as well. Yeah. And then. I guess I would also just love to plug one of other David, David's books called Feeling Good Together, okay. because that's his book where he explains about the five secrets and, and all the tools for using those. And uh, my colleague Brandon Vance and I also have book clubs um, for to go through that book as well, okay. um, which can really just be so powerful in terms of transforming relationships. Well, I noticed actually on Amazon there was, as well as the, the book Feeling Great, there was a Feeling Great, I think it was like a workbook. Would, which for the book club, would it be more useful to have the workbook or the actual book? So this book is specifically for feeling great. Right. There is a feeling good workbook, yeah. but that doesn't incorporate all of the latest um, tools and the positive reframing. So okay. for this book club, it would be feeling great. Okay. Well, well finally, Heather, is there a quote that um, resonates with you for any reason? Yeah, it's a quote by Mr. Rogers. Uh, in a way, you've already won in this world because you are the only one that can be you. And I, I think so often we're beating ourselves up, telling us we should be someone different than who we are. And what is so radiantly glorious is our, our uniqueness, our you-ness, right? That, that we're manifesting that sort of best self in the world. Um, and yeah, it's quite magical to have someone see that in us and then for us to see that in ourselves. Mm. Well, finally, Heather, I mean, it's been amazing you know to get to know more about team cbt i mean it's certainly a journey i'm going to be going on over the next year or two i think but if you could leave listeners with we sort of touched upon being proactive before and and how team team cbt can play on that what how what thinking around that sort of theme what advice or how what would you what thoughts would you leave listeners with when it comes to being proactive well you know, I, I guess being reactive, I'm going to positively reframe being reactive. Okay. <laughs> What's great about being reactive is you don't have to pay attention, mm-hmm. right? You know that you'll get slapped if, if something needs your attention is going wrong. So it is really useful to be able to be reactive. And I'm glad that my body and my mind are able to react. You know, if I get sick, right, my immune system comes in and helps me. So, so I want to first just validate being reactive. Okay. And at the same time, how sad if we're never paying enough attention to kind of invest in our health and our well-being and in our lives so that we are present, we are paying attention, we are seeing all the possibilities that are there. Um, being proactive, I think, is really kind of one of the most loving things we can do, right? Because it says we're paying attention to our well-being, we're investing in it. Mm-hmm. It's like putting compost in the soil. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it really creates so much possibility. Heather, it's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. Likewise. So much fun to talk to you.
Next week is episode 238 with Dr. Catherine Steele. In, we discuss her background in psychology and occupational health and her current work in coaching, academic research and writing. And she provides an overview of health coaching as facilitating behavior change and supporting clients in enacting sustainable habits. And she emphasizes about empowering individuals to take charge of their health, regardless of workplace wellness programs and she advocates for a more proactive root cause approach to lifestyle medicine. And she also stresses modeling healthy living for children through education and overall conveying the importance of self-awareness, motivation, community support and education in making incremental changes for long-term health. So that's next week with Catherine Steele, episode 238. If you've enjoyed this week's show, why not leave us a review? It'll be really helpful in more people finding out about the show. Please do subscribe so you get the episodes every week. And remember, all episodes now are on YouTube. So if you're listening to this on a podcast player, you can also watch the episodes on YouTube. And for those of you on YouTube, hit the subscribe button. That'll be great. Hope you have a great week.